open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2 as we continue a series of messages we've been on for two months. It covers the life of two men called Elijah and Elisha. We've been on a journey with them. That journey took 10 years from the time it began, the journey that they started together. And we've been looking at that journey because that journey took them to several different places. Those places were symbolic of things that God does in our life as he processes us into maturity. Come on, somebody shout maturity. Now, how many of you know you can get older and not be more mature? Age is not a sign of maturity. Maturity only takes place in somebody's life when they accept responsibility. So if you want, that's why there's some 25-year-olds that are more mature than some 45-year-olds. Because when you're willing to start taking responsibility for your life, your choices, and your future, then you recognize that maturity begins in your life. How many of you know you cannot be a victim all of your life? I'm going to say that one more time. You cannot be a victim all of your life. Because potential can never be revealed until process is embraced. If you, doesn't matter how much potential God put in your life, it's going to take processing that's embraced in order for that potential to be revealed. Now, in order for processing to take place, how many of you know that what normally happens is God's grace impacts our life? How many of you are glad today for the grace of God? I didn't, I didn't save myself. Anybody in the room know you couldn't save yourself? I couldn't even fix myself. Hmm? But his grace, which, which is freely given, comes to not only redeem me, save me, make me acceptable to be able to call heaven my home, but it comes to empower me to live out what I was created for. If Jesus is the doorway, which the Bible says he is, he's the doorway into an incredible life, then how many of you know you don't need to keep standing in the doorway? So there's not just a journey to Christ, but there's a journey in Christ where you keep growing, you keep going. Somebody shout, I'm going to keep going. But in order for that to happen, transformation takes place. And when transformation takes place, listen to me closely, what normally happens is God does two things. He realigns your life so that your life looks on the earth like he intended it in heaven. So you become a mirror of his purpose and plan. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, you know, my, my issue is not that there's a lot of problems in the earth. My issue is sometimes I'm not in alignment with heaven. I haven't aligned myself with God's ways, God's purposes, and God's plans. Because sometimes my will is pretty strong. I got like three other helpers in the room. And I, I just took for granted the rest of you were quiet because your will was pretty strong. Not only does he realign us, but he causes us to have what I call spiritual recognition. The word recognition comes from a word recognate. All the teachers in the room, everybody that works in the educational field knows that if you educate anybody, you, you test them according to their cognitive abilities, their ability to reason. How well do they reason? 
what happens, God comes along and he recognizes us so that we recognize things differently. Things you thought used to be your biggest obstacle might have been God's biggest plan. You really may not be in darkness, you might be in a birth canal. But if you don't recognize it for what it is, you'll keep praying for something you already got. So he has to recognize us so that we process things in a different way. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to begin in verse number 6, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 6. said, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Somebody shout Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, if you'll remember, we've already been to Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. And in all three of those places, nobody observed. But today, 50 men are standing looking at them while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. I don't have time to deal with dry ground, but everybody shout dry ground. How many of you know the reason they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, the reason they crossed here on dry ground is because if you walk through mud, you leave evidence of where you've come from. God doesn't want you to wear the residue of a previous season when he's trying to bring you into a new season. And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion Watch this, a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He didn't ask for a double portion of his calling. He asked for a double portion of his spirit. Let what it is that has driven and shaped your life shape my life. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened. Somebody shout, then it happened. As they continued on talk, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. My assignment today, and this is what I'm going to teach you about for a few minutes, is it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. I want you to high-five three people and tell them it ain't what you think it is. Come on, just tell them. And then you can be seated. I want us to focus our attention on the few minutes that I have this morning on the place called the Jordan, the Jordan. I mean, you know, the Jordan appears multiple times in scripture and it appears for reasons and particularly it appears at times to let us see transitional places. If you want to know the meaning of the word Jordan, the word Jordan by definition means the place of descent. It's the place of descent. It's a slope that goes down in order for you to come up. In other words, in the economy of God, the more you're willing to go down, the more he can raise you up. The epistles say it this way. 
when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he's able to exalt you in due time. The Jordan is represented in several major stories, but I'm just going to give you a couple of them just so you can see the type because it's a picture of some things that God does in our life as his people. You'll remember with me in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus came up on John the Baptist, while John the Baptist was baptizing people, and Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him, the Bible says that he went into the Jordan to be baptized. How many of you know we have water baptism coming up in just a couple of weeks, and if you've never been baptized in water as a Christ follower, that's the next step. Because Jesus went into the river to be baptized, and it appeared to be a, for him, it was a grave site. It was a place where a previous order, a previous day, a previous life was being laid down and buried so he could come up to a new life, a new call, and a new assignment. For 30 years, he had been living in obscurity, but God used the Jordan to bring him to a place of promotion. And when he came up, the Bible says that heaven spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you haven't signed up for baptism, then you need to do that so that you too can say, I'm leaving all that old junk I used to be in a watery grave. How many of you know whatever your reputation used to be doesn't need to, pres- doesn't need to follow you into this new season? Whatever habits used to control your life doesn't need to follow you into a new season. And when you and I are baptized, it's literally a picture of me going down. I disappear, and then I come back as somebody that's brand new. Now, I promise we don't hold people under the water until they disappear. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not bubbles. We've had some people, we wanted to wait till the bubbles came to make sure they were baptized, but we haven't done that yet, I promise you. But Jesus was baptized. It was, it was a sign that he was transitioning into a new place. Joshua chapter 6, the children of Israel, the Bible says that when they got ready to go from the wilderness into the promised land, they passed through or they crossed over the Jordan. It's a picture of they went down to confront every barrier that had ever limited their advance. It was an issue, watch this, it was an issue of faith. Because how many of you know it takes faith to go down believing you'll come up? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that by faith the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we get a picture of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was from a very well-to-do wealthy family. He was the overseer of his daddy's business. When Elijah came to him, he was plowing with multiple sets, 12 sets of oxen. He had a big future, but Elijah threw his mantle or he threw an invitation over Elisha into a life he never thought he could have. And as he threw that mantle over him, at that point in time, Elisha had to make a choice as to whether or not he would follow. How many of you know there are people in this room today that God's been knocking on your door? And all he's been saying is, I want to invite you into a life you could never have had on your own. You can't reach there through getting more degrees. You can't get there by having more money. You can't get there by buying more homes. You can only get there through me. And I'm just wanting to invite you into a life you could have never had. But in order to do that, you have to answer 
the door. You have to answer the invitation. You have to engage by faith the invite that God is giving to people to go into a new place. But when Elijah and Elisha transitioned through various places of development, they came to the Jordan. Because just as in Jesus and just as in the children of Israel, they were about to make a transition into a new season. I came to teach today because there are people in this room that are about to move from places of frustration into places of destiny. There are people that are about to move from places of limitation into places of expansion. I'm telling you, there are people in the room that's been living in a season of adolescence. You're about to come into a season of real maturity, and you're going to see the fulfillment of what you've been praying for. Somebody ought to be thankful God's about to move you through the Jordan. So let me tell you what the Jordan is. I'm going to tell you three things real quickly about the Jordan, and we'll be, we'll be done. First of all, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write this down. It is a place of transformation. It's a place of transformation. Now, to the casual observer, it appears that when you go down, you're disappearing. Just like when you go down in the water of baptism, you go out of sight. When you pass down into the Jordan, it looks like everything's over. You could say it this way. When you go down, it appears that you're covered up, buried. But I want to be more accurate today. When Jesus went down into the earth in a grave, he wasn't buried, he was planted. <laughs> if you're buried, there's no expectation of ever coming up. There's some people in the room today, you've been buried under anxiety. You've been buried under anger. You've been buried under disappointment. But I'm telling you today, God wants to take what you have made a tomb and turn it into a fertile place where you recognize I am not buried. I have been planted. And by being planted, that means I am going to have a time when he will bring me up out of this place. I am just in a season of germination because what I've been intended for, God is going to bring forth in my life. Is there anybody in the room today to say, Bishop, I can understand what you're saying. I feel like I've been planted. I am invisible, but I sense there's a breaking in the kernel of my corn. Something is breaking out and there's a sprout about to appear. I came to prophesy to somebody, you are about to sprout out in a new season of your life. If you have a bag full of seed, you have a harvest, but not if it stays in the bag. In the bag, it's nothing but a bag of potential harvest. But if you let the dirt do its work, oh, I wish I had an hour, stay right there. If you just let the dirt do its work, how many of you know that the dirt will do what it's supposed to do? How many of you know the dirt by itself can't do anything? The seed in a bag can't do anything. But when you put a seed in the dirt, it will begin to call for all the nutrients it needs. When a seed goes in the ground, it doesn't call for everything. It calls for the nutrients it needs in order for that seed to grow. It may need iron, it may need nitrogen, but it won't call for everything. It'll call for what's needed. Oh, I wish I had somebody's attention. 
you've been calling for all the wrong people and wondering why you're not sprouting. But if you get planted in the right place, God said you'll call for the things that are needed for your dream to become reality. And they'll come running to you. And all of a sudden that potential will break out and begin to bloom. I'm not buried. I'm planted. It ain't what you think it is. Don't have my funeral yet. Don't say my day's over yet. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12, verse number 24. He said, until a seed falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Somebody shout much fruit. Let me show you something. We make all kinds of assumptions in our world today. I want to talk about, I want to talk about the natural scene. The natural scene. In other words, that's, this is our present culture's worldview. This is what people get shaped by. It's what Romans 12 calls the patterns of the world. I mean, you know, everybody in the room, you have a pattern. There are some of you that if we needed to hire a killer to kill you, it would only cost about $10. Because you leave home every morning at the same time to go to work, and you go down the same street, and we know what corner you'll be at at seven minutes after eight. They wouldn't even have to look for you because you got patterns. I got them. My wife tells me I got a lot of them. I walk in, first thing I do is hang my keys. My pattern and her pattern are not the same. First thing she does when she walks in, she doesn't even know where her keys are. I can leave in a split second. Kathy is on a hunting search. But they're patterns. Everybody's got patterns. But how many of you know the world has patterns? And what happens is, some of the patterns that we pick up are not conducive to what we've been purposed for. And so God has to break those patterns. Anybody in the room ever feel like God been wrestling with you over your patterns? I mean, even though your pattern when you, before you came to Christ, might have been if somebody pushed on you wrong. No, nobody here. Somebody's watching online. You just opened your mouth and you just told them off. My pattern is you better not get in my way because I'll say words you've never heard. Sometimes we have patterns. When I'm lonely, I find people that's not really not good for me. So we develop these patterns. The world has patterns. They're called worldviews. So in, there is a scene, but there, th that also brings with it things that are assumptions. If you have a, if you have a certain worldview, then you automatically have assumptions created by that. Let me. I'm going to use the word scene. Let me show you a couple of them. First of all, how many of you know in our world, we have a worldview that everything needs to be about speed? How many times have you pulled up to a restaurant and saw a line of people and you look at your wife, your husband, your kids, 
Go in and see how long it is. Doesn't matter if it's, don't matter if I'm hungry. Doesn't matter if it's the best food in the city. So the, our automatic assumption is this. Slow is bad. Let me tell you what's slow. Maturing. I don't care whose prayer line you get in. You can't be 18 until you've been 16. They can't lay hands on you and impart maturity. So what happens? We want stuff in a season that we've never, ever been prepared for. Because our pattern is everything in life has to come fast. We like to be able to hit send. It comes up. Lightning speed. In fact, what, what, watch your television. Look at all the cable stations. What are they doing? The uh, Cox cable, all the rest of them. What are, they, what are they saying? We can upgrade your speed. Now, I personally cannot tell the difference between 5G and 4G. Not really. I don't, know if I don't know if my computer's any faster than it was last week or not. But they certainly wanted to charge me for greater speed. <laughs> Am I helping anybody? So we have worldviews that what? That speed is automatically God's way and slow is bad. Let me give you another one. Our world values convenience. Convenience. Hmm? Then how many of you know that if everything in my life is supposed to be convenient to me, then I automatically believe hard is bad. Anything that is challenging is automatically bad. Let me tell you what's hard. Marriage. I had like five amens and about a hundred almost amens because you were sitting next to your husband and wife and you went, hey. <laughs> you got ready to say it, but you was afraid he or she would hear you. I don't care what you do. You can spend $100,000 on a wedding and by month four, you want your money back. What was I thinking? When I used to pick her up and take her home, she was wonderful. Now that I have her and she never leaves, it's terrible. Same way for him. Hmm? So therefore, we believe that if it's challenging, then it's bad for my life. So guess what happens? We create people that are always checking out way too early. We have a habit of quitting. Because it's, why'd you quit? Well, it was hard. Why'd you quit your algebra class? Well, it was hard. I'm really preaching good, I can tell, because it's getting really quiet. So then you come along, let me give you another one here, real quick, I gotta hurry. Entertainment, entertainment. We, we live in a, 
a value system, and a pattern of entertainment. We are the most entertained generation in the history of mankind. Do you realize that the word entertainment, we, 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 we now have more of these in America than, than, uh, than anything else. Amusement, uh, amusement parks. Do you know what the word amusement means? Amusement comes from a Latin word, amuse. Right. When you muse, you think. Aw means to not think. Right. So we have a culture that doesn't want to think. Therefore, we spend four hours every night watching TV. Preaching. Wondering why we don't know anything about the Bible. Because I don't want to think. <laughs> so therefore, boring is bad. Hmm? We are, our culture wants to make sure we're overly nurtured. Now there's a few people in the room here, you weren't nurtured at all growing up. I understand that and that was wrong. But most people today are over nurtured. The reason most of our men don't know how to stand up and make a decision is because they've been mamaed to death. I remember when I, my son-in-law just left. It's like, whoa, come back. That was a bad place for an exit right there. <laughs> That's funny. I remember when I was a boy, every, every six or seven year old got a BB gun. My dad wouldn't get me a BB gun. When I was eight, he got me a 30-30. He said, I'm not going to get you a BB gun because his sister shot him in the eye with a BB gun. My dad was blind in one eye all of his life. Because his sister shot him in his eye. He was standing behind a tree, hollered for her to shoot. She never would shoot. He stuck his head out and she finally shot. And when she shot, she didn't hit a two, two foot in diameter red oak tree. She hit him in the pupil. So my dad said, you're not going to have a BB gun. They're dangerous. So I'm going to get you a 30-30. So I grew up all my life knowing how to handle weapons, how to handle a gun, how to respect it, how to know how to carry it, how to unload it, load it. Nowadays, you go to school with a helmet on. Come on. We rode in the back of pickups at 50 miles an hour. Am I helping anybody in the room? We don't even let children play outside because they might get in the dirt and wonder why they get the flu three times a year. No, they need to go out and eat some dirt. It's what builds their immune system. Go get a caterpillar, eat a worm, do something. Get some nutrients down in there. Come home and it'll take your mama an hour to get you cleaned up because you're so dirty. Because here's what happens. When you live with a pattern of constantly being nurtured, risk 
is bad. So we spend our whole life in a safe world. But guess what? Opportunities aren't safe. Learning how to make your own decisions are risky. That's why part of our nation would much rather us elect officials that will tell us how to think rather than thinking for ourselves. Because if I think for myself, it's risky. That's why we'd rather have mob rule. We want, if you're mad, I'm mad. What am I mad about? I don't even know, but I'm mad because you're mad. No, I got a brain. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be mad just because you're mad. We live in an entitlement age. Entitlement. People wanting five years what took their parents 30 years to get. Hmm? I got to spell that right. Put a T in it. So what, what does that do? That teaches us by assumption that labor is bad. So therefore, I can be 26, still living in my mama's basement, not paying any rent, won't get a job, but I can play video games for seven hours a day because I'm so brilliant. I am now the greatest guy in the world at video games. Oh, I feel like preaching today. But what you need to do is go get you a five-day-a-week job, learn how to pay some bills, learn how to save some money, learn how to get a future for your life, and recognize that work is not a four-letter curse word. Now I want to say something to all the daddies and mamas in here. Don't let no boy show up at your house want to date your daughter that ain't got a job. Hallelujah. We didn't even have, I didn't know what an allowance was. To my children come along. They said, can we go get an allowance? I said, what is an allowance? I'm allowing you to live here, eat my food, wear the clothes I bought. What am I allowing you for? I got to hire somebody to cut my grass, and I got healthy teenagers. Some of you saying, oh, God, I just came to the most old-fashioned church in Oklahoma City. Look what James chapter 1, verse number 2 and 3 says. Can we put this on the board? Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. For you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Do you know what? When you live on this side, your faith life never shows up or shows us what it is. But when you get over here and say, God, it's taking longer than I thought it should. It's been harder than I thought it should. Every day there wasn't fireworks. Some days I had to risk it. And some days I had to work for everything that I had. But guess what? God was in the midst of it. And my faith life came forth. It ain't what you think it is. That is the pathway. Hallelujah. This is the first generation in history 
that doesn't need its elders or its parents for information. Historically, every other generation needed elders and parents and grandparents to give them the information they needed to become successful. We don't need that in this generation. We have Google. But what Google can't give you is interpretation. See, you can get information, but if you have no context for it, you won't understand how to use it. And that's what elders, that's what people that have matured, that's why God sends them in your life because he wants you to be able to interpret the information you're getting in your life. Am I helping anybody in the room? Because watch this, people continually desire a success that they've not been groomed for. That's the reason an embryo doesn't grow out on a, on, on a lab table. An embryo grows in the silence and the security of a womb in hiding. That's the reason Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity before God ever put him in the ministry. That's the reason Moses spent 40 years in a wilderness before he ever became a deliverer. That's why Joseph was in hiding in a prison before he ever became the prime minister. Because if you cannot take the place of transformation, you can never walk into the destiny you were intended for. I'm about to preach because transformation restructures your life and it recognates your life so you can understand what you're in the middle of. I am not in the middle of a storm that's going to take me out. This is not a big devil trying to kill me because the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And if I'm under pressure, it's because God is trying to bring out a part of my faith life that has never been seen before why would you go back to college and get a degree if you weren't going to structure your life to use it why would you pray for a house if you weren't going to restructure your finances so you could afford it Maybe I'm in a season where God will answer my prayers. But he's saying to me, I've got you in a transformation period. Because right now you don't know how to save any money for a down payment. But I'm going to teach you how to save money for a down payment. So then you can have the dream of your life. So the Jordan becomes the revealer. Listen to me. Don't miss what I'm about to say. If you're driven by ambition and the desire just to have what you want, you will always consider obscurity to be punishment. If you're driven by ambition and only want to have what you want, then when God puts you in a hiding place, you'll believe he's punishing you rather than transforming you. Second thing that Jordan tells us is this, and I'm almost done. That you're processing, you're dying, will never be completely private. Just when you wish nobody saw what you was going through, there's 50 prophets standing on the other side looking at you. 
Let me see how Elisha handles this. Come on, if we're honest, most of us want to live out all of our processing where nobody can see it. I want to give you an illustration because it looks like you're in obscurity and, and you can't see anybody else, but they can see you. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. How many of you know when God takes a, a squirmy little caterpillar? That caterpillar was not born to wiggle through dirt all of its life. That caterpillar was not born to just climb sitting trees. That, caliber, that caterpillar was created to reveal the beauty of the Lord. To fly. I believe. I believe I can touch the sky every night and day. Spread my wings and why have we got all the people that know the song but we quit, we keep squirming like caterpillars. Here's why, that to get from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that caterpillar begins to spin its own what we call a cocoon, a cocoon. And it gets shut up in a place, watch this, where it can't see anybody. But anybody walking by can see it. You ever felt like nobody knows where I am? I'm going through something nobody knows. And if you stop and talk to five of your friends, they could already tell you they're going through something. One of my closest friends was with me this week. Kathy and I picked him up. And I didn't, he didn't even say anything to me. Later on, we talked, and I found out what it was. He got in my truck. I've known him since 1984. He got in my truck, and I said, something's wrong. Why? Because when you are in a processing place, you can't see anybody, but they can see you. But watch this. They also make assumptions. They assume the caterpillar's gone. They assume that you have spun yourself into silence and into oblivion. The crowd's wondering, what are you doing? They don't recognize that inside. On the outside, doesn't look like anything's happening, but inside, energy's being released, and this old form is metamorphosizing. It's, it's being transformed into something it wasn't before, and all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that cocoon that looks like it's empty and silent and dead and dry, all of a sudden, one morning, you walk by, and boom, there's a wing sticking out the side of it, and, and you're tempted to want to reach in there and pull the butterfly out, but it's the struggle that makes it strong enough to fly, so it has to fight its way out of this place of development because it's in the fight. It's when you don't quit. It's when you don't walk away from the struggle. It's when you don't give up on your marriage in year five because 
because you know God has a plan for you that's filled with good and not evil and, and your wing fights all it's got and the other wing begins to fight with everything it's got and sooner or later there comes a day when you break your way out of that season and into a brand new season because God has done something in transformation that's why God didn't allow Jesus to die privately. Okay. They didn't crucify him in a closet where nobody could see. The Son of God lived out his transformation in front of the whole world. The strongest empire known in history, the Roman Empire, the religious leaders assumed they had ended the rabbi. Rome assumed it had silenced the king of the Jews. Hell and the devil assumed they had defeated him. But what they didn't know is that in a borrowed grave, the son of God was completing redemption's work. And on the third day, the king came forth with wings that could lift him up because he was going to be forever more alive. I came to talk to somebody here today. You feel like you've died. You feel like you're dying, but there is life after death. Don't die in your place of what looks like a tomb. You've been planted. And I'm telling you, there is a third day that is in the room today. Oh, I wish somebody would help me. I feel like running all by myself. trust God enough come on team to believe that he's able to bring life after death we claim we believe that when we lay somebody down in a coffin and put them in the ground we go with confidence to funeral homes and to church services and say, I'm going to see mama again. I'm going to see Uncle Bill again. I'm going to see my son again. Because we as Christians believe there is life after death. But what we can't trust is that if I die to my pride, he'll raise me up. If I'll die to my habits that are killing me, he'll give me a lifestyle I never had before. We can trust him to get from earth to heaven. We just can't trust him to get from this Friday to next Friday. But if I allow him to plant me, if I allow him to take me into a cocoon, he'll teach me everything I need to live life in a way like it's never been lived before. I believe there is life after death. When you see me go down, don't think I'm going to be in the Jordan forever because there is coming a moment when I'm coming back up the other side into the new day God has created for me. Watch this. Somebody here today needs to know it's not what you think it is. You think you were buried. 
Your enemies have drawn assumptions. But in reality, they aren't informed. What's happening is you're being transformed. You know what Elijah said to him? He said, you ask a hard thing. Not an impossible thing. A hard thing. See, the issue today is not can God transform your marriage? The issue is will you not live by the scene of this world? But will you live by the patterns of the kingdom? Because watch this. Put this script verse up, verse 11. Put it up. Here's what happened they're walking along. Elisha went down into the Jordan, came up the other side. The 50 prophets were still looking. They didn't know whether he'd die there. They didn't know whether he'd live. They didn't know whether he'd ever receive another season in his life or whether he just wasted his time. But here's how the verse started. Then it happened. I'm going to read it again. I like it so much. Then it happened. Thomas, you didn't change sides. Then, whoo, glory. I thought it was an echo. It's him. Then, then it happened. You got to get this. Then it happened. You say, what are you talking about, Bishop? Well, I just kept bringing my tithe every week. Every week, I just kept bringing my tithe. I just kept honoring God. I just kept being faithful. I just kept doing what he told me. I just kept obeying God. And all of a sudden, then it happened. I kept getting up and giving him the first part of my day in prayer. And it looked like nothing was happening. It was boring. It was hard. Some days it was like labor. But then it happened. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got a promotion I didn't even know I could get. Oh! I kept being faithful to my wife. I kept being faithful to my husband. Then it happened. God blessed our family with a legacy we never thought could ever happen. You don't know when and you don't know where. All you know is that when you live allowing Him to process your life, then it happen everybody stand that's why Galatians chapter 6 verse number 9 says this don't grow weary watch this watch this don't grow weary in doing good Don't grow weary of being in the house of God every week. Well, I went last week. I didn't get anything out of it. Don't grow weary. Don't go. Don't begin to despise the very thing that's bringing you 
to what you've been looking for. Don't grow weary in doing good for in There's that seed. Well, I planted it 30 days ago. Didn't know when that corn was coming. Jesus said it this way. He said a farmer goes out and plants his seed. And then he goes to sleep. In other words, he learns to rest. Knowing that that seed has an assignment and it has a due date. I'm talking to somebody in here today. You think you're covered up. But your due date is on God's calendar. You can't quit while your due date is still coming. You have an appointment. I said you have an appointment with God. You have an appointment with destiny. Don't you quit in the middle. The farmer goes to sleep at night and he don't know how and he doesn't even know when. But all of a sudden he comes out one morning. There is a sprout coming up out of the ground. First the blade. Then the full ear. God's bringing me to maturity. I can't put my sickle in too early. I gotta let it have its perfect work. I cannot grow weary in doing good, for in due season I will reap if I faint not. Put verse 11 up one more time. Then it happened. Somebody shout, then it happened. But don't miss these next three words. As they continued. You got to continue believing. You got to keep on trusting. You got to keep on putting your confidence in him. I got to continue praising when there ain't nothing to praise about. I got to keep on shouting when there ain't nothing to shout about. Because then it happens. As they continued on. And look what happened. That a chariot of fire appeared, horses of fire, and it separated the two of them. What did he separate it? He separated a previous season from a new season he said Elisha your Elijah days are over you're never going back there again you might have been poor once but you ain't never going back there you might have been sick but the disease shall not visit you a second time it's not coming back on you again that's what the prophet Amos said you may have been in bondage one time but you're not going back there I am putting a separation between you and it so is anybody in the room ready for God to separate you from a previous season so you can live in the new season God has for you if that's you I dare you throw both hands in the air and I want to let you make a noise in this house it ain't what you think it is